Man, I love, I love these guys a lot. Uh, if you didn't notice and you're a little confused, all my other shirts were a bit wrinkly this morning. And um, so I wore my Waylon Jennings t-shirt, Watasha, Father's Day. And, uh, and it's also Waylon's was birthday was the other day. Uh, that might not mean anything to you, but uh, it does to me. And we are in Texas, so that should mean something. So anyway, uh, let me pray. Let me pray. When the last time you say, but then the preacher today got up. Long hair and a beard and wore a Waylon Jennings t-shirt. I ain't never in my life. All right, Father, I love you. Yeah, only a rock. Hey, ain't no other church going to have me. I know that. <laughs> Father, I thank you. I'll release a revelation of fatherhood because um, a lot of us know that we're sons and daughters, but we still don't believe. A lot of us know you're a good father. We know it in our minds, but we don't believe it. And my prayer for us today is that we would know and believe the love which God has for us. Like John said, in 1 John, he said, we have come to know and believe the love which God, it's one thing to know, but to believe it changes everything. God, would you help us believe in your love for us? Let the spirit of God in us cry out, Abba, Father, cry out, Abba, this morning. I just, I feel that. Oh, I feel that there's something special. And God, release a revelation of, of who you are, Abba, of Daddy, that you, we could come to you and speak to you, and we're sons and daughters. Release that today in Jesus' name. You know, I'm just moved in my heart because I don't know about you guys, but I just can't do church anymore. And I, I don't know. I just feel so moved. Like, I just, there's been times in my life where I, I, you get into the flow, you know, and and those times are good. And then there's those times you just long for something so deep, so much deeper. And, and you know, I, I found, um, you know, a lot out in the last 10 years of seeing churches all over the world and experiencing a lot of God. And I feel like if we're really going to walk in what God has for us in this season where that we're going, um, and especially what you guys are doing, I feel like we have to, we have, to have hunger in our hearts hunger because you know revelation is good and we ask for revelation but revelation uh doesn't doesn't always lead to hunger hunger always leads to revelation and I feel like hunger is one of the greatest gifts and I don't know about you but I I didn't follow Jesus because it was a good idea I didn't follow Jesus because um I wanted to do this thing halfway and I sure as Flip did not follow Jesus so I could go to church on Sundays and do the stuff. I just didn't, man. I enjoyed, I, I'll be real, before I got saved, I was, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of drugs. I was doing a lot of whoring around. I was doing a lot of everything in the world. I was on tour in a, in a, in a band, a rock band, and, and we were signed, and I was living it up. And man, I didn't follow Jesus because I didn't like doing those things. I followed Jesus because truly I found him to be sweeter, better, more fulfilling, more satisfying. I'll never forget the first time I experienced. I mean, when I, before I got saved, you need to understand, I hated Christian music. I thought it was the corniest, goofiest thing. And in many regards, I still believe those things, but I won't preach them this morning. <laughs> Christian music is not dead. It just smells funny. 
And I remember being at a music store when I'd come off home from tour, and, and I remember coming in, my drug dealer's leaving me 50 hun and psilocybin mushrooms in my car while I'm working at a Christian music store. A lot of drug references here. If there's kids, I'm sorry. Uh, but I, okay, uh, yeah. And I'm in the, and I'm in the, and they hire me, a hellion, and they're, and they weren't anything like me. They were these old, weird, charismatic ladies, and they would say things like, there's a call on your life, young man. The anointing's in you. Honest to God, I had no idea what the anointing was. I was raised with bikers, uh, and, and, and so that was my, my, I was more at home in a, in the, at the Stardust Bar that my dad took me to every Friday uh, than I was in a church, for sure. And so they talk about anointing and all this other voodoo, and I have no idea what they're saying, and I don't really want it because I like being high, and their Christian music stinks. And they played it, man, while 99 over the CD player in that Christian store. Help me, God. And I'm just like, here we go, you know, another day, another dollar. And they just kept prophesying. They just kept on, they just kept on, and they just kept on. And they, would, and they just kept prophesying, and they just kept saying it. And, it, and the, there were weeks where n- I thought, no- surely they had to think nothing was happening. Because I was coming in. You know how, a, you know how a, a pothead tries. They think they're fooling everybody with their visine and their, and their axe spray. <laughs> you, you think you're fooling somebody. You ain't fooling anybody. You smell like dope with axe spray all over you. <laughs> That Visine ain't helping nobody. Why you carry around Visine anyway? Because you a pothead. So I go into the I go into this music store and they just keep on going. They just won't stop. They just keep saying, "There's a call on your life, Chris. You're going to change the world. There's an anointing on you. You're going to change the world. You're a you are powerful. God has called you, Chris, to be more." And I just keep on blowing it off. And then I'd go out with my friends and that Holy Ghost would court me and just follow me wherever I went. And I'd be just sitting there with my buddies and just, man, do y'all ever think about God? <sighs> and they're going, you, you really have lost it. And they did. They said, man, you've done too much. You've went too far. I'm not kidding. It's funny, but they really did. They said, man, would you, you're sitting here talking about God and you're doing the same stuff. What are you talking about? What are you, you know, what are you doing? And I remember... I said, Jesus, I'm, I'm starting to believe that you're real. And I have this feeling inside of my heart that says that, that it's like this weird thing, like I've known you all along. And this weird thing in my heart that says, if I do this, I'm not going to do this halfway. My dad had a term for that, and I can't say it in church. You're not going to do it halfway. And I see little cuss words popping up in all your head, and I'm telling the Lord on you right now. And I don't do anything halfway. And I said, God, if I follow you, I'm not going to do it halfway. And I even told, you know, my friends, I said, when I follow Jesus, you watch out. I'm not doing it halfway. And I didn't, man. I, I, I gave my life to Jesus. And that WOW 99 CD was the only thing I had. And they gave me WOW 99. And I put it in my little Grand Prix. And I put it and I drove around and I would weep in the presence of God <laughs> to the, you know, this, this corny music, but I was getting touched by God. And I found something sweeter than any high. 
I found something greater than any drug, really, man. I mean, I found the presence of God. I found that Jesus wanted to be near to me, and he wanted to be near to my, my heart and my life. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget those times. And, and I, I just think some of us need to be reminded of, like, not just where we came from, you know, but how much we had that first love. Because first love, you can live in first love. You really can. You can live in first love. And I know it's true because in Revelation, Jesus says to the church of Ephesus, return to your first love. Return to your first love. The Revelation says he's the one that walks among the lampstands. And the lampstands are the churches. And he says he walks among the lampstands. But he said this to Ephesus, you've left your first love. And you're real busy with a bunch of stuff, but you've left your first love. And if you don't return to the things you did at first in your first love, I'm going to take your lampstand. And there's a lot of churches today, Jesus is not walking among them because they have no lampstand. Because they have no first love. And it's not really about, we, we cover it up, we, we mask our lack of intimacy in the name of maturity. And we say, we're mature now. I remember being saved and, you know, I'm from, you know, Appalachia. So, you know, growing up near the Kentucky, West Virginia, Southern Ohio area, uh, hillbilly country, you know, hillbilly land. And uh, I remember an old boy called me and said, I heard you got saved, Chris. That's wonderful. He said, you're going to be on fire now, but enjoy it because it won't last. And you'll, you'll, you know, that fire will burn out, but you're excited now, but just keep hanging on till heaven, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm more burning today than I've ever been. And really, you can too. But I have this to say to you this morning that men can give you fire, but they cannot give you oil. And we have lived in a perpetual way in the church. Oftentimes, many of us do. We live in such a way we start in first love, and we feel the fire. Many of you go to conferences. We go to things. Conferences are amazing, but we have to understand that while we can get fire and flamed on by men, they can lay hands on us. We can get fired up over teachings, worship. Those are necessary and amazing things. They're, it's not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but what I'm saying is this. If you are receiving fire and no oil, then you will never keep a, a, a flame sustained in your life. And you'll constantly live in this perpetual thing of, I'm on fire, I want to do right by God, and the next moment you're, you're burnt out, or, or worse, you, you have no oil, and your flame slowly dies away. And I'm telling you that the fire of Jesus that is on your heart, that he wishes for you to steward, maintain, and sustain, can only be done so through having oil, well, how do I do that, Chris? Well, I will tell you this. In the Bible and in biblical term and context, oil represents the nearness of God. The Old Covenant and Old Testament priests, you know, they would pour oil over their head. It was a representation that the Holy Spirit was upon them. So oil is that representation. If you even think about the lamp, the lamp burns. Why? Because the oil is sustaining the flame. If you have no oil, guys, you have no flame that can be sustained. And so I feel that what the Lord is really asking of us is to say, are you cultivating oil in your life? And are you hanging out with the oily one? There is one I know who has oil. He's got plenty of it. And much like the widow 
with Elijah, I want to tell you that the oil only stops filling when you have no more room. And if you'll come broken and make space for him, he will fill you up to capacity. In fact, really, I believe most of ministry in life, a proper order is that you are loving people, you are ministering to people, you are fulfilling and doing your calling and your purpose in life from the place of overflow in intimacy with Jesus. Oil comes from intimacy with him. There is no other way but to be near to him. Now listen, you have Jesus living on the inside of you. You understand? But you would agree with me that Moses had a little bit something extra than the people at the bottom of the mountain. The dude's face is shining. Now, I don't know if you understand that we skip over these stories like they're, you know, commonplace, but a man's face was shining so much that it freaked everybody else out, and they said, cover up your face, you're scaring the kids. He had been with God in such a way that that which was in began to come out. I'm saying this, that I am not just looking to be on fire for Jesus in different spurts. I said this earlier. I'm not living a lifestyle dependent upon what falls. I am living a lifestyle dependent upon what flows. And living a lifestyle of waiting for God to do something. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait for what falls and revival fall instead of being a tree planted by the waters, planted by the rivers where your leaf is always green and you don't fear when heat comes and you bear fruit in and out of season because you're dependent not on what falls but what flows, being planted in the place of devotion. The place of personal devotion will be the fire of corporate revival. Truly, it is up to us as individuals to steward the flame of devotion in our lives to Jesus. Personal intimacy. And many times, the complexities of such a statement can overwhelm us. And we begin to think, well, what is it really? What do I have to do? Here's the truth. It's simple. It's very simple. When Jesus dies on the cross, he doesn't put us back into the garden. You remember the original plan, don't you? He put man in the garden. He put us in the garden to cultivate the garden. Adam, your calling is to take dominion over the entire earth. Whoa, big word. Kind of like some of you. You know the classic word? Come on, we love it, right? I see you. You're in front of millions of people. They're, they're cheering your name. I mean, Jesus' name. And there's money falling from the sky. You're rich. You're famous. Everyone loves you. This is your calling. Amen. I saw that in the, in the spirit. And we're just like, hallelujah. Everything I've ever wanted. You're going to be a voice to many. In other words, everyone's going to care what you actually think, right? We love those words. We hear the words. And, and, and I'm only poking fun half jokingly. But the point is this, is that we get these great words to have all over the earth. Adam. You're going to take dominion over the whole earth. And then what does he do? He says, now, where do I start? And I can just picture Adam's ready to jump on a giraffe. In my version, it's a giraffe. And he just rides the earth and takes dominion. <laughs> I would have chosen a tiger or something, but I don't know. I think Adam was a giraffe. I'm just going in the spirit right now. <laughs> but what is, I'm kidding, please. Oh, I'm going to ruin your church. Um, 
but literally, this is not Bible. This is me joking, clarification. But you know, I, I feel, I feel that you know, Adam thinks this big word, and what does Adam do? God says, "I'm putting you in a garden to cultivate this little garden right here. I want you to cultivate what what I've given you right here. Cultivate it. The monotonous, oftentimes the disciplinary uh, actions that 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 that. Hey, I want you to cultivate this. But understand." When Jesus restores man back to God through the cross, we understand the, the gospel 101. Jesus died to restore us to fellowship and union with the Father, right? So we could have intimacy. You understand that Jesus didn't put us back in the garden. He didn't take a people and say, oh, we got another one. Let's put them in the garden where they're safe. Because he, he said, I'm going to do one better because the new covenant is the greater covenant. It's the eternal covenant. He says, I got one better. I've planned from the foundation of the earth. I'm not going to put them in a garden. I'm going to put a garden in them. And when you are born again, Jesus plants a garden in your heart. You say, well, and that is in the scriptures. It's all throughout the scriptures. It's, it's all throughout. Paul refers to the new covenant church in 2 Corinthians 11 as a garden people. He says, just as the first people were deceived, I'm afraid you too, church, would be deceived by the simplicity that's in Christ, the simplicity of devotion, right? And how were they deceived in the beginning, right? They were in the garden and they were deceived because the enemy convinced a people in paradise with access to God, unlimited access, he convinced them there was something they didn't have. He convinced them there was something more they had to do. Many scholars would call this Gnosticism, hidden knowledge to try to acquire to get closer to God, when really God is as close as he could possibly be to you. Are you going to be the one to access it? Are you going to believe the religious lie that you have to do more in order to get closer? You see, there's a garden inside of you. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. You want to know the nature of the garden? In the beginning things in the garden grew and were cultivated by one supreme law. And it's the law of relationship. You could say it's the law of intimacy. When Adam walks with God, it is through their union, their fellowship together in which the garden begins to grow. I think it's interesting. You can find that through several different points. Number one, you know, we know it didn't rain, right? We know that in those days it didn't rain. We also know this, we know that after uh, Adam had eaten of the fruit, what did the father say? What did he say to Adam? He said, from now on, in order to bring fruit from the earth, you're going to have to toil, and by the sweat of your brow, you'll bring it forth. In other words, what did come easy is now going to have to be worked for. It was entering into this place of the law, of understanding that we now have to bring forth fruit, right, through the toil and through striving and by meeting the requirements of the law. And even Moses' tabernacle, though it was a blueprint of the heavenly model, you understand Moses' tab, don't, don't leave me now. Don't leave me now, okay? I don't, I'm not going TBN on you. I just want you to follow me with the Moses' tabernacle thing, okay? It'll be fun, I promise. Now, the outer court, inner court, and the holy of holies. You've heard of it? You go to the outer court, and then you have to have a priest do the sacrifice so that, you know, the, the, the sins can be forgiven. And the holy of holies, listen, that's where the manifest presence of God is, right? And so they had to follow all of these rules. And here's what I love. John 15, Jesus comes, and he says this. 
Unless you abide in me, you'll no longer be able to bear any fruit. You can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. Unless you have intimacy, nearness, you live your life in fellowship. What is Jesus doing? He's restoring our paradigm back to a garden mindset. You will not be able to do anything aside from relationship and fellowship with me. Fellowship, relationship with me. Look at this. Let's read it. Yeah, I mean, you pulled it up, so let's read it. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do a few things. But, you know, you can't do, listen, you can do nothing unless you abide in me, unless there's an abiding, unless there's a fellowship. And many of us operate from the place where we begin to learn to do ministry and we, we get kind of good at it. And I think we can get so good at it that we actually can, can do it without God. You know, you can. You get to the place where you learn to do the gifts and the stuff. And it reminds me of the Song of Solomon chapter. You know, the Song of Solomon is this wonderful, metaphorical, prophetic analogy of the bride of Christ, us, the church, and Jesus, the bridegroom. We know that the Bible's clear about that. Uh, and I know who wrote the Song of Solomon. It was the son of David. So think about that for a minute. So the son of David, it writes this book, and it talks about the bride in the first chapter is very immature. And it's the journey of the bride in her maturity and her walk with Jesus throughout the Song of Solomon. The first chapter, her immaturity is revealed by this statement. She says to the bridegroom, to Jesus, the church, you and I, they say to the Lord, I've learned to take care of my brother's vineyards, but my own garden is unkept. I learn how to do the prophetic line. I know how to do the worship team. I know how to serve in church. I know how to do ministry to everybody else. But when it comes to my own relationship, it's a mess. It's unkept. And gardens, friends, they don't pop up and happen by accident. You've never seen a garden in the wilderness. Believe me, okay? I grew up in the woods, in the country. You don't see gardens in the wilderness. You might see flowers. You might see things. But a garden speaks to something that's been cultivated. A garden takes work. I remember coming home. I mean, my old man literally works all day long. I still don't understand it. He works all day long and would come home and, and work in his garden all day. Such rednecks. Literally, my mom's out in the doing flowers till, till the sun goes down. I used to think, you're crazy. I'm going to sit in here and I'm going to, you know, watch Nickelodeon. I don't know what you guys are doing. This is... And, you know, they cared so much about it. Short story really quick. When I was, uh, he mentioned Akron, Ohio. I'm not actually, we're just staying over in Akron. We're actually moving to Nashville, but I just left. We lived, uh, me and my family lived for two years in San Francisco, California. So we're actually just coming from San Francisco. And uh, in my yard in San Francisco, there was a tree. My dad, being into horticulture and gardening and such, you know, he's, he's always looking at things like that. There was a tree in my backyard, and um, it was a, a, a pomegranate tree, right? Which is pretty cool for me, because in Ohio, you can't, you can't, where I grew up most of my life, you can't grow, you know, uh, orange trees and those types of things. So it was pretty cool. I had a pomegranate tree in my backyard in San Francisco, and uh, the tree um, was looking pretty good, 
And these gardeners came around that was a part of the house that we rented and they took care of it because God knows I, could, I wouldn't know what to do with it. So they come by around wintertime and man, they cut this thing to pieces. Guys, I want to tell you, literally, I'm like, this was a beautiful tree. They ruined it. They literally looked like they ruined it. I mean, this tree had been cut to the nub all the way down. And I, it looked like, dude, it, was it dead? Did it have a disease? Like, what happened? My dad comes over for Christmas uh, to visit us in San Francisco. And, and my parents were there. And my dad said, oh, well, son, they didn't kill the tree. They pruned it. I'm like, really? Whoa. It looks dead. It looks like it'll never grow back. I mean, this thing was beautiful. And, and they, they took all the beauty away from it. He said, no, they, they pruned it, son. They know what they're doing. They pruned because they know they can tell. A gardener can, a gardener can tell. You want to know how I know you're supposed to be a gardener? Because <laughs> when Jesus was resurrected, the first thing he was mistook for was a gardener. Only it wasn't a mistake because he is a gardener. And I want to tell you, God is a gardener. The whole thing's in a garden. Come on. The same place where mankind fell is the same place Jesus was buried and rose again. A garden. It was a garden. This, do you see? It's all about a garden. But anyway, I go back to the tree. You know, it was a, a few months later, and I hadn't noticed, just forgot about it. I go back out, and this tree, I mean, literally, and I'm not exaggerating, it was 10 times more voluptuous, beautiful, big, huge, bursting with flowers, and, and it was so amazing, and I thought, wow, wow, when, the, when we get pruned and all the beauty gets taken away, it's because Jesus has a bigger picture in the end than what we thought, right? And to another point, you know, I looked at the tree, and I said, man, uh, it doesn't have any fruit on it, so how in the heck are you calling this a pomegranate tree? I don't have pomegranates. This, I got gyp. This is a, this is a, I'm calling someone. Something has to happen. This isn't right. I live in San Francisco. I deserve a pomegranate tree. My rent's 4,000 a month. Give me a pomegranate tree. $4,000 a month for a 1,200 square foot, three bedroom. God help people in San Francisco. That's the truth. So I, I want my, my dad comes over another time, uh, probably in the summer. And he I said, dad, this, we're sitting there shooting the bull. And I said, dad, this tree has no fruit, man. What's going on? And he's like, oh, it's a flowering tree. It's not a fruiting tree. What? Like mind blown emoji. You know, what does that mean? I, a tr if it's a apple tree, how do it grows apples. If it's a pomegranate tree, it grows some stinking pomegranates, right? How do you know? He said, no, 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 no. You see, there's two types of trees. There's, there's two, everyone knows this that does gardening. And he says, look, uh, uh, there's, there's a flowering tree and a fruiting tree. He says, see, some trees are used in residential areas. They're really pretty and they look good, but they don't bear any fruit. And, of course, he starts talking about all the green thumb stuff. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, keep going. I'm like hearing from God. And he's, he has no idea, seriously. He has no idea what he's saying. And I'm sitting there going, the old man is dropping some heavy rev bombs right now. He said, you know, some trees look good. You know, their Instagram account, they look real good. 
Oh, let me tell you something, brother. I have been with some guys whose, inst- whose social medias make you think they are like literally living on the top of the world. And I've been with them on the same weekend that they make it look like they're taking over the world. And I'm going, bro, it was not that good, okay? It was not that cool. And you and I both know it, okay? Social media is the highlights of our life. And then we compare our normal lives to the highlights of everybody else. And we wonder why it makes us so depressed. Listen, guys, here's the deal, okay? You do have a choice in life. You can look the part or you can actually bear fruit. The only thing is, if you want to be a fruiting tree, it's going to be a little messier. It's going to be a little messier. And sometimes you might not have the the exploits to show everybody. See, the flowering trees are really pretty. Oh, people love them. They love them. But there's no substance when you get down to it. And we have this term in ministry where what we do is we say, you know, we, we hear this all the time. You know, I went on a missions trip, brother. It was very fruitful. But you have to understand that's really against biblical context. And I understand what people are saying, but you cannot be fruitful doing ministry. It doesn't work that way. If that's the case, Jesus lied. He said, you only bear fruit by abiding in me, right? I would rather say that the ministry or the mission or the things I'm doing as a calling or whatever are really people eating the fruit that I've grown in secret by abiding. You understand? If my inner life is healthy and my garden on the inside is healthy, I'm actually able to feed others than just expect to always be fed by everybody else. Do you understand? The place of maturity where I say, I actually feed others. A real father, a real man is someone who takes care of other people before worrying just about taking care of himself. That's the true heart of a father. The true heart of a parent, the true heart of of someone mature is saying, I take care of others. What I'm telling you guys this morning is this. Whether you're talking about oil and fire, whether you're talking about the garden of your inner life, it all goes back to this. Are you focusing? Is the main call, focus, and vocation of your life to walk with him in intimate fellowship? Because if any other thing becomes your bullseye, I want to tell you, you are settling for a lesser goal than what Jesus died to give you. The greatest goal of his death, in fact, you could say the greatest reward of Jesus for his suffering is your fellowship and your desire to walk with him intimately. If the father were a businessman, if he were a manager, surely he would invite us in and and, and rate us, if you will, uh, on our, our resumes, what we do for him, you know? And many times we find ourselves validated by the fact that because we serve God or we do things for God, we must know God. That's closer and more akin to what Jehovah's Witness believe than a real uh, Holy Ghost born again Christian. I remember at one of our old homes that the Jehovah's Witness come in and we all love those stories, don't we? I sure do. I love when they come to my house. Because I had like the, the, the one guy came who was like the, the, the leader, you know, and then he's got his little peewee Herman beside him that knows nothing and 15-year-old kid, you know, he's just sitting there like, you know, listening and watching what the other guy's doing. And uh, he wants to talk with the word about me and, and, I, and I'm talking to him about the word and I'm engaging and I'm, I'm just like, oh, I'm loving this. I can't wait to tell you how wrong you are. Hallelujah. No, I'm, I wasn't in the wrong spirit. Maybe a little bit. 
Um, and I let me, do you want to talk theology? Let's come into my lair. Let's talk. <laughs> ah, you want to see, uh, you know, literally, I'm like the, I'm like the leprechaun, the weird, crazy guy with 15 cats that when I see Joe, come in to my lair, we'll talk. I love having them come. It's fun. It's interesting to me, okay? But they only come once because after they encounter me, they mark me off the list as damned to hell or something. <laughs> He's not one of the 144. <laughs> Do they believe that? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so literally this dude's talking to me and I start prophesying over this guy. He starts to wiggle and shake like, you know, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis in his britches because I'm starting to like talk to him. Hey, listen, you know, uh, you're this and you're that. And I begin to prophesy over him. And I say, how do you know that you know God? Look me in my eye and tell me. He says, I know, I feel like I know God because I'm out here doing this. I'm out here working for him. And it hit me. Why would... First of all, why would I want to come to your side, dude? You got to work for it. I don't. Like, why would I come over there? Uh, but it hit me that when you have an idea and religion, or I would like to call it the bib in the biblical manner, uh, the Greek and the Hebrew, I like to use the word religious doo-doo. When religious doo-doo is on the inside of you, you, you have this stinking thing inside of you that makes you believe that you can get close to God because of what you do, A, or B, you have to stay far away from God because of what you can't do. And both are religion. Oh, both are religion. Yeah, both are religion. You have no right to come in, but the blood of Jesus speaks a better word and gives you right to come in. You remember I referred to the tabernacle earlier, and I told you, I said... Uh, you know, there was the outer court, inner court. The old covenant way is this, that you need a man, you need another priest to make the sacrifice to get you into the presence. You know you're living in an old mindset. You know you're living in religion when you depend upon me to get you into the presence, when you depend upon Pastor David to give you a word so that you can feel filled up. Let me tell you something, guys. There is a place where you realize you don't need your, your favorite worship song. You don't need the newest, coolest revelation. You need this. You need Jesus. You need to understand that you can come into his holy, manifest powerful, life-giving presence because of the blood, not because of the anointing of another priest. You are a priest. Do you understand? Now, let's read this. I want you to show, to see the heart of the Father here before we just kind of wrap this up. Because I, I said this earlier, and I, I'm seeing in the Spirit right now, food pop up over your head. And, and I know that means you're hungry. And so I'm not going to keep you too much longer. Because I'm, I'm hungry too, actually, Pastor. So... Um, <laughs> Man, I'm so spiritual, man. Matthew 7, verse 21. Let's read this. Let's get a glimpse into the heart of the Father. That you are not validated in relationship because of what you do. You are validated in relationship because of who you are. And you can say that you know that, but here's what I believe. You don't really believe something unless you live it. A lot of guys that walk around talking about end time stuff, I wonder if they really believe it because they're not living like it. I wonder if we really believe. It's one thing to know. It's a whole other thing to, to believe and have an understanding that I'm gonna live my life on this. Listen, I am building and have built my life. Me, Chris Burns. I am building my life 
off of one thing, there's a garden in me. I'm building everything. Everything depends upon that. Everything lives and dies by that reality for me. I am living with the reality that I have nothing to give you if I don't abide in him. If I have not, if, I, if fellowship is not overflowing out of my life, I have nothing to give you. There is both, as a, 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 he is so much more kind and merciful than we could ever imagine. He's also so much more dreadful than we could ever imagine. The tension of the fullness of God. Oh, I mean, he is jealous, but he is so graceful. He is, he is, there is a tension. I don't even like the word balance. There is a, balance indicates that there's, it goes back and forth and you're walking a tightrope. He's, you're not walking the tightrope. God is the tightrope. He's the tension of, he's so jealous for you. He wants more. And at the same time, he, 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 he's fully inside of you. It's this strange tension of the gospel. But you have to know this. You have to have the bullseye of your life be this. I value his presence over any of the promises. Like Moses in Exodus 33, I'll take you to the land flowing with milk and honey. I'm gonna give you everything you wanted, but I'm not gonna be there when you get there. Imagine, go to the promise you've been given, but when you get there, you look around and God is nowhere to be found. How many churches that I've been to, I wonder how many churches in Corpus well-meaning pastors who started out in the right place. They started with a pure heart, but just a, a click off track. And now they look, they're so far away. They have all the things they've been promised and they look around and God is not walking in their midst. You think it's not possible? It's totally possible, man. Here's, you know, I don't know if I should even say that. Leave Rock City for one Sunday. Go try it out. Go, go see what's out there. Because I'm telling you right now, the amount of presence, what happens this, what happened this morning in worship, that may be normal, but it's not common. If you start treating something because it happens on a normal basis, you start treating something that's normal as common, I want to tell you, you lose honor in your heart. Because that which you identify as common, you can't attribute great honor to. And if you won't attribute great honor to the presence that's living in this fellowship, man, you're going to find yourself, you're going to find yourself like Solomon who grew up in great presence but went away at the end because he didn't honor it and attribute honor that it deserved. We got a generation grown up in the tabernacle of David reality. Presence of God coming like this. I think if Charles Finney or Wigglesworth or Coleman or any of them walked into this presence, they'd have said, my God, what is this? We, we read the highlights of their lives, but I'm telling you, we're living in a reality that the fathers dreamed of. This presence isn't normal. It's not a common thing. Let's give honor. You know, the more you give honor, the more you get back. You know, the more honor you sow to something, the more you pull from it. That's why when you come in next week and you say, I just expect the presence of God to be weighty. You should, but I want to tell you this too. If you'll attribute thankfulness and honor, it'll multiply. Man, I want that. I'll close with this. 
Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. I want to say this. This is not just referring to a future going to heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Without getting too into semantics or theology, I want to tell you that if when you read the scriptures, you only attribute it to a future time or to a past time and not I am time. Not I was or I'm going, but I am. If the I am, the word made flesh, if you read this word and you, it's, it, you just throw it into a time and place that you don't have responsibility for, you've missed it. All scriptures, God breathed and profitable, right? So he's talking about understanding. You can't enter into the reality even of the kingdom of heaven. And I think it's multi-layered. I do think it means heaven as well, but I think he's given a prophetic word and he's showing us a picture. Watch this. But he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Now listen, if the father was building a business here at Rock City, then you would be promoted based upon what you can do for this church. You would be promoted and given titles and given authority and given position based upon how you have served. Because in the business world, your resume is what gets you access into greater authority. But in the kingdom, you must understand the father is not a manager. He's a father. And it's not based off resume. And it's not given by position because of what you've done. But see, this is what in family authority is given by who you know. In family, you're not promoted because of what you've done. You're promoted because of relationship. The prince is a prince because the bloodline. He's the son of a king. Is, a, is, is Prince Harry over here? Let me ask you. Is he royalty because of what he's done or is he royalty because of the blood? So are you a son or a daughter because of what you can do for the church or do for God? Absolutely not. Your sonship is secure. Your position is secure because of the blood. See, the father, you're, you're promoted because of relationship. You want to know the scandalous nature of grace in the kingdom and, and the, the absolute The, the absolute leaning and, and, and goal of the father to raise family, you can see it all over. You see it in the 11th hour workers. The first guys work all day. Anybody know this parable? They bear the heat of the day. They bear the heat of the day. They work harder. They work longer. They do way more. The guys who get hired at the end, they work for an hour in the cool of the day. <laughs> and they get the same pay. That's scandalous. And the father defends it and says, I give what I want to who I want, when I want. You don't get more because you do more in the kingdom. You just got to show up. You got to know who you are. Watch this. He says, they say, we prophesied. I called out people's addresses, man. I, I knew they're, I knew they're this, I knew they're that, I cast devils out, that girl got free because of me, I want you to know, I prayed for her, Lord, and not just that, the Lord actually used them, that's the thing, 
They actually did prophesy and cast out devils and heal the sick. I laid hands and that person got healed on the street, Lord, and I did that. And he says, you missed it. I don't know you. I don't care. Do you think the Lord's impressed by how I lead worship? He doesn't care. I'm not going to show up and be like, hey, what's up, Lord? I see you. Hey, man, did you get that last record? Good, right? I knew you'd like it, honestly. I mean, it was really good. He's going to go, man, I have never heard in all of my eternal being that kind of worship. He's not impressed. We think the Lord's impressed by our teaching. Listen, teaching, calling, gifting, I don't care. Not impressive. Know what? The devil's going to fight you more on than anything. Being with him in intimacy. You want to get in a fight? Watch, watch how you everything. He will fight you to be in that garden more than anything else. And he'll try to convince you, you got to do something more to get closer, just like he did the first people in the garden. Come on, if you just eat that, you got to do some stuff because the Lord knows you'll, you're not like him fully yet. You got to do more to get there. Guys, can we just cast off the real? I just pray off all religious doo-doo in the name of Jesus. Man, he's so good. How good of a father to say like, I've worked the kingdom principle and laws out so that by being with you in relationship, you be, you're promoted. <laughs> like, I just want to be with you and I'm going to see, and you're going to see, he'll take you to the promise no matter what. The Lord told me one time, he said, Chris, I'm going to do in your life no matter whether you, you be with me or not. And it set me free to go, I want to be with you even more now, you know, because like, you're that good. The father is building a family, guys. And because of that, we have to pursue relationship. And as we pursue him, we're going to find that we love each other so much more. Have you ever noticed that when the presence of God, if you get done with a big worship night, you've been worshiping the presence of God is just so amazing. You ever notice how people love to linger and hang out? after because fellowship is so much sweeter with his presence he invites us in to the triune relationship the kingdom of god is 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 so wonderful he invites us into fellowship with with himself and ultimately one another it's so this is good news man this is good news before I have uh, pastor come up I want to pray over you you don't even have to stand I just I just want to release a grace over you that the word become flesh, that we live what we hear. It's more important to do what you hear than to know what you hear. You can know something really well, but unless you do it, you're deceiving yourself. That's what James says. It's better to do the word you know than to know the word you hear. And I pray that the word become flesh. That means what you've heard today becomes a goal of your life. I'm pursuing this. I'm going to build my life off this. I'm going to walk with Jesus in intimacy, and he's going to take care of everything else. All, the, all of my fears, all of my doubts, all of my, the things I long to see, the callings, the, 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 all those things are just extra to being with him, everything. Father, I pray now in Jesus' name, you break off false religion, you break off false ideas, Lord, of what it means to walk with you. You break off this idea that our good works make you happy and, 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 and we come in because of your good works, but we're rejected because of our bad. We say good works come as a result 
<laughs> of a good God, of walking with you, of trusting in you. Father, I pray right now a grace for intimacy over every heart, a garden awakening over every person. I pray right now a devotional renaissance over every single person in this room. They'd say the goal of my life is to walk with you and walk in fellowship with the family of God. You're building a family at Rock City, Lord. You're building a family who doesn't just have family for the sake of family, but a family that hosts the presence of Almighty God. Because you're, Rock City, you're not just called to be family and get, this isn't humanism. You're not just getting around each other because you, you want to fill a social void in your life. Listen, you are not called to just family in emptiness with nothing else. You're called to family that hosts God. You understand? You are hosting God, and the attractive beauty of God is going to be on this family. As David prayed, I pray over you, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the works of our hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, I love you guys.